Cold pizza Tuesday. Tuesday. I got food up in the fridge. Hi, welcome to Book It. This is a thin crust conversation on deep dish books. Sometimes they're deep dish, sometimes they're like hand tossed. Sometimes thin crust. Got you some. What? Sorry, you're doing a good job, but. Uh, you could wear this. Wear it? Yeah. Wear this. Uh-huh. Like here? Affix oh, it to thy bosom, my lady. <laughs> okay. I'm trying to speak what, in the um, vernacular of the book I read. Oh, this has to do with your book, I see. It has to do with my book. What? It's the book that I think I? in the world says the word bosom more than any other book. I think I might have an idea of what hint. your book this is. This is a hint, and then the word bosom is the hint. And that's Does the, that B stand for bosom? It doesn't, but it could. I mean, it could stand for all kinds of things, but... In what? our context right now, it stands for book. It. Indignation. It, yeah. Book it. Book it. Our <laughs> like show. cousin it? Our Maybe. show. Yeah, it's our show. Book it. Clever, clever. But yeah, it could be bosom, and there's a lot of bosom in the book I read. There what isn't. Book? It just says that word all the time. Yeah. It used to be a cool word, I guess. You don't hear it that much anymore. Are there also red letters in your book? You're on to it. <laughs> There's What's one prominent red letter. The book is, and look at this beautiful copy I have. That is pretty. The Scarlet Letter. Hawthorne. Nate Dog. Nate Dog. <laughs> Nate Dog Hawthorne. Old Nathaniel. Okay. Yep. That's what I read. Well, I think, yeah, bosom letters, red ones, yeah. scarlet red. Uh, that's about all I remember about this book. I think I read it back in the 10th grade. That's well, all I know. I'll synopsify it for you. Go on. Okay. I think one of these shows recently, I asked you to do name that tune and put you on the spot and you did it in, what, three sentences or something? Can you do it in shorter than that? Is this, is this like competition thing? I'll do it in one. <laughs> one sentence. Go on. A woman has sex with a minister. That's it. That's basically what happens. <laughs> A woman has sex with a minister. And really the book's about what happens right. all after that. But that's that's what starts it all, I guess. You're, yeah, that's the plot, I guess. And you don't know that. I mean, that's kind of like a, it builds up and then it's like, oh, big oh, reveal. Oh, my. Not that uh, they had sex because she has a baby. So it's clear that something happened. But okay, so let me maybe <laughs> give you a better synopsis. There's this woman. She's in like puritanical culture around Boston. Uh, she is pregnant and she doesn't have a husband or her husband's gone. She thinks deceased. And so they put her in jail for the time that she has the baby for three months. So she has this baby, she's in jail for three months and then they make her stand on a scaffold. And then she has to wear not a B, but a letter A the rest of her days uh, to declare her as an adulteress. Mm -hmm. They even think about like killing her and stuff. And that's like a town decree. Yeah. And she can't. The governor and whoever magistrates and she gets this chance to repent and part of her repentance is like this shame stuff that's going on and part of it is declaring who the father is and so this minister is telling her you have this chance who is the father and she said i will never reveal who the father is it turns out it was that minister i was like wait later you find out uh, arthur dimsdale but, is his name so author the, uh author sounds weird mm. uh the minister yeah he's trying to get her to confess no Oh. I don't think so. Maybe. 
he is doing his role that the minister is supposed to do in that town, which okay. is the governor or whoever gives the Not sentence. Not behind closed doors, but it's like, a big show. Yeah, yeah. He yells at her about her infidelity and what a wretch she is. The the governor, or whatever, and then this nice minister is like, "My lady, if you would please." Tell us who else was involved with this. Will you confess that? And she's like, I will never confess. And it's like later you're like, oh, that's like a romantic moment between them. Mm. Um, but he maybe wants her to confess because he carries this. She wears her shame on her bosom uh, and it in some ways liberates her throughout the book. He hides his within his bosom and it depletes him and eventually kills him. He just like is just dead What's weight this with this yeah and secret. of course he's in this vocational ministry he's heralded as a hero everyone loves him and then there's also this like male female thing going on where like yeah. females are treated a bit different than males in society for different things that are going on and there's gossip and then women are mean to the woman it's just there's all these layers of shame that yeah. are going on and what do you know when this book was written uh i don't i well yeah i do hold on i'll get there i want to say like 1850 and, and I will check and see how close is, I was. <laughs> this just shows my lack of history awareness, probably, as far as it relates to time. But uh, Salem know. Witch Trials, things like yeah, that. Yeah, this is like bleeding into it. That is much earlier, but I think he wrote this much later. How, how much? Like 1600s. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> 1700s. Um, Whoops. I'm going to pull it up. Scarlet Letter. When? That's not a great, and I spelled letter Ketter, which is sometimes something you do. Published in 1850. Nailed it. Circle gets square. Pretty proud of that. Well, so so there's all this gender oh, stuff. There's all this shame I stuff. I boasted. Shoot. Oh! <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. You have to wear that for the rest of the day. That's right. For the rest of my life. <laughs> rest of my days. Poster. Yep. What do you think would happen if we... I mean, did things like this happen? Was it, how, I mean, is, yeah. like this idea is purely fictional or things so, like this really took place? Hawthorne lived in that area and was influenced by that area. And then his grandfather was a minister in that area. Like he has this lineage of familiarity with sort of rigid religiosity, judgment, a very judgment-based culture, even the one he lived in, very judgment-based. Um, so yeah, he's kind of... Exploring it. I wouldn't even say rebelling against it, just exploring it, those topics. And so I don't think it was uncommon to make examples out of people in really strong. You talked about the Salem witch trials. Some of these people were witches, whatever that means. Mm -hmm. Some of them weren't, but all of them had to be made examples of. And mm -hmm. even if you were a witch, what harm was there really? Now, maybe spiritually you could get there. I don't know. But you weren't actually doing that much harm, to, but it was like, we need to yeah. eradicate these people and do so publicly. And I don't know, there's no room for grace, mercy, any of that. It's all very judgment-laden. So yeah. that's what he's dancing into. So yeah, I think the premise he sets up is somewhat common, but then the premise he sets up is completely common if we think about society and life. Like even where we are, we've punted on a lot of religion, right? We've kind of moved it out. Um, and we have separation of church and state. We have all these things in place. And yet I would say that our culture is maybe one of the most judgmental Ever. Like you get on social media, you think about body shaming, you think about anything that goes on. We're cancel culture. Like we love a good old fashioned scapegoat and, and shame fest. Making an example of someone. And we, the Scarlet Letter, think, like it, this could be bigot. Like if you say in this microphone, if I say one thing, I might have to carry that bigot with me uh -huh. forever, even if I change and grow. Um, 
tyrant, uh, phony, whatever. We all carry these letters, fat, slim, whatever, eating disorder, whatever thing we're known by, we get affixed to our bosom and then we have to carry it around or we have to hide it away and not let anyone see. Mm-hmm. And it's based on judgment. This rampant judgment. Does the author present, I mean, any solution or is it just sort of exploring it and then letting the reader figure out where they land? He, he doesn't give any solution. I think it's exactly what you said. He lets the leader, like one of the places I landed was the difference between Dimsdale's journey. And then there's a third character who's out, Hester Prynne is the woman. Um, it's her husband comes back in the picture. She thinks mm. he's gone dead. He left for England to become a doctor or something. He comes back in and his sole purpose is to hunt down the man who did this to her. And he ends up living with Dimsdale, not knowing it's the man. And so he's got this whole other thing going on. Mm. And so it's exploring all these characters, but Hester Prynne ends up being the most liberated of all of them. So what she does with her letter and with her shame is like processes it, thinks about it, takes responsibility for her actions, owns it, gives to the poor, raises her daughter, gets really good at her job. Uh, She just kind of like, okay, now you know me, now you can see me. I'm just going to keep walking, which is really bold and brave why she's become this emblematic of this like strong woman Mm -hmm. where these people who are hiding it and always trying to point out everyone else that they're like wretched inside. And so I think that's what he's doing. He wants like the heroine is Hester Prynne, even though she's the one who did the misdeed. She's the one you're rooting for. She's the one who's redeemed. She's like the redemptive character. I want to reread it. It was. (laughs) I want to reread it a lot, especially, I don't know. As a woman, maybe, especially, and the way that culture treats uh, the, the disparate treatment that often happens, especially regarding sexuality, but a lot of other things, too, probably. But, yeah, it's making me want to reread it. Yeah. it's uh, I read it, I guess, in high school. Probably all of us did. Read it. In <laughs> yeah, high school, yeah. whatever that looks like. You skim it, <laughs> you get it click down. notes, whatever. And so I was kind of like, and then the language is laborious. Like, again, a lot of bosom talk, uh, kind of like these, these, dies. <laughs> big words like he he is he knows some stuff and it's annoying at first because like just say the thing Mm. and be like her pallid face downcast with her eyes down on the earth while the earth seemed to swallow up the hellfire of judgment and all he's trying to say is she was sad yeah like bro just say she was sad but then as you keep reading you're like you realize the beauty in it and he's speaking in the vernacular of time but he's just like this underrated master this was also uh, well, fun fact, first mass published book in the U.S. Oh. 2,500 copies got made, and they didn't do books like that, that then. And that's a, very surprising. Yeah. I mean, that where the character, main character is a woman and talking about all these things, like I can see that being passed over yeah, in the I, publishing world at that time. I guess it was just revered or he got with the right publisher or something, but they said, we're going to try this mass production thing. So they did 2,500 books or something like that. They sold out in 10 days. And so then they did more. And he wasn't an author of success. He was known for short stories, and he had other jobs that would take him away from writing. If he had been like a full-time writer, like he'd be probably our best writer ever in America. Mm-hmm. Um, he's still revered as one of our top writers, and he was kind of like, it was his hobby. And he wasn't fabulously rich from it. But anyway, This good. is going back a bit, but like you said, instead of just saying she's sad or she's depressed because of all that, I guess— feeling the weight of all that, like having a whole society basically look at you and be like accusing you, I'm sad or I'm depressed, maybe wouldn't cut it in that scenario. Sure. Um, so I guess I can see why 
He just yeah, it's flowery. Wa- it's weighty language, and also it's a psychological book, which mm-hmm. I don't think that many books, especially of this time, were uh, as prominently. So he's always, and it's really interesting because he can get into the inner thoughts of Dimsdale really well. But then he also, the character he gets into the thought life the best is Hester Prynne. So it's a male embodying, again, in that time and space, a female disposition and how she's going through it and not yeah. doing it well. And then he does it with the daughter, too. So there's a daughter who's born out of all this named Pearl. And he under, you can tell he understands children and he writes children well, too. So he just had like this nice grasp, but it's very psychological. So it gets in the psyches of all these characters. Reminds me a little bit of Crime and Punishment. Mm. I don't know if you've read Crime and Punishment, where there's this murder that happens and the murder's like three pages. And then it's 500 pages of dealing with the guy's thinking about the murder he committed. So it's all his inner thoughts, his inner thought life. And that's what is going on here. It's all, what does Hester think? What does she feel? Um, what does she think about religion? What does she think about God? What does she think about forgiveness? What does she think about her life going forward? And so you get down in the depths of her, um, beneath the bosom. Title of the episode, <laughs> Beneath the Bosom. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, let's see if I have any more questions. I don't really. I could just kind of want to read the book, but um, I don't know. It does make you think about the role of if any, of mercy in society. Like it's not, we talk about justice a lot, which has a place, but if it's uh, divorced from or excluding mercy, I guess I just wonder if if we're still that way, if like this seems very stark, mm-hmm. like uh, you're going to wear this for the rest of your days and everyone's going to know that you did a bad thing. Um has it gotten worse? Has it like we talk about cancel culture, or is it? I think it's gotten worse. Yeah. And the reason I say that isn't because necessarily human nature has gotten worse or anything like that. The reason why I say I think it's gotten worse is because how this book is starting to end and then the end doesn't pan out. She is just going to go to Europe. Right. <laughs> Done. Yeah. Now you can't. Yeah, yeah. Like, I see where you're. As long as you got a phone or the internet, like you, it's harder to leave behind. Like your misdeeds, um, the past follows you. Everything follows you. Sorry, I'll put this back on so you don't look like the only dope. Um, <laughs> so that's why I think it's gotten worse a little bit is because there isn't actually an escape from it unless you can find some semblance of grace, wherever you get that from. You get that from your faith. You get that from the people around you, your community. But if you don't have people pouring grace upon you, because the truth is we all have letters we should wear. We just do. We try and hide them, but we all have letters. So if you can have people who can see those letters um, and accept you anyway, despite your letters, it like liberates you from those letters. Yeah. Which brings me to a quote that's listed on the back of the book. It says, the scarlet letter was her passport into regions where other women dared not tread. Which can mean a lot of things, but I think that's one of the things he's talking about, this passport kind of life where it's, she wasn't defined by her misdeed, even though the world tried to define her. She like transcended it by just taking responsibility, owning it, and then finding love elsewhere, mm-hmm. although it doesn't quite pan out. Well, and I'm also wondering about the child. Yeah. But, yeah. What do you wonder about? Well, like if you had a mother that was, had this letter on her bosom. Mm-hmm. Uh, Good use of the word bosom. <laughs> I'm learning from you. Uh, <laughs> and, and that was how you grew up, with like all the yeah. shame surrounding you. But you also saw your mother walking maybe with her head held high, going about life, uh, despite all that being piled on, if that would be 
how that would play out, I guess. And he gets into that a little. So something about Pearl, which is all kinds of like symbolism. Yeah. Her name's Pearl, which is, you know, clean and pure and whatever. And then she was born Precious. out of this. Yes, yeah. exactly. Uh, and then um, Hester Prynne, Prynne. Prim and proper, yeah, but then yeah. print also rhymes with sin. Oh. There's all these different things. Uh, Dimsdale, this dim life, it's a decreasing of light. Mm-hmm. And then dim also sounds like sin. So there's like all these little um, things like that. But it talks about Pearl and Pearl's like, they call her an elf and she's like a demon child. And she has like this rough and tumble nature. Her only friend is her mother because society won't take her in. So she has this odd upbringing, but then through the redemptive narrative that goes on, Late in the novel, we don't know where she is, but it seems to infer that she's living abroad. She's escaped all of this. Like we said, she put the letter down. She appears to be happily married with family, and she is sending presents to her mother where her mother lives. And then her mother is embroidering this beautiful child's garment and sending that abroad or wherever because for a grandchild. presumably she has a grandchild. So it's like, oh, Pearl made it. And the mother who has the skill, she made her own scarlet letter and made it beautifully. And that became an advertisement for her business because she would make gloves and things for people. I don't think gloves, but she'd make nice <laughs> things for people. Uh, well, then she's getting to use that. It's like redeemed in a way where like her skill is now creating a thing of life for a child who is truly pure by the world standard. So you yeah. kind of get that. Pearl made it somehow, it seems. So. Beauty came out of the, the mess. Yeah. Well... On Book It, we rate the books on a scale of personal pan pizzas, harkening back to the reading program where, like, in 10th grade, I may have just said, maybe I skimmed Scarlet Letter, maybe I read the whole thing. Does my teacher know? No. But do I still get the personal pan pizza? Yes, I do. So from zero to five, what would you give this book, The Scarlet Letter? Four and a quarter. Whoa! Yeah. Hello. It's not a beach read. Uh, if you don't like That's some red hot pizza, if you don't right. like flowery prose, you won't like it. But it really makes you respect one Nathaniel Hawthorne. Like he was really good at this. Mm-hmm. And then the story is interesting, and I do think you can modernize it and think through it. Um, this lens, like think through it with the cultural lens of today, and see a lot of parallels. Like you said, even with uh, male female sort of equality type things, equity type things, but then also judgment, mercy, religion. So many things play. So. I think it's a really strong work, and it's um, one of the, probably the best American novels. So, yeah, I'll give it four and a quarter. Read It'd be it. hard to give it yeah. much less because it is an esteemed work. So, check it out. Awesome. And well, even if you don't for want to, it in today. we can make you a letter. Yeah. <laughs> I might go into business here, just like Hester. Mm-hmm. No, this was made out of a holiday card, by the way. So, What's that's the little writing Thanks on there. This holiday. Yeah. Mine's upside down. Yep. Use what you got. (laughs) Well, thanks for bringing it in. Thanks for anyone listening or watching. Uh, And we'll catch you next time on Book It.